It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The, the Sports Hit List presents Smoking Mirrors with Declan Krogman and the Polius Brothers, Greg and Stefan, breaking down the biggest news in sports, G- giving you the stories behind the story, here for all the smoke, all the time, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome in. Good afternoon. We are now live. This is Smoke and Mirrors on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, presented by the Sports Hit List. I'm your host, Seth Polius, alongside my fellow hosts, Declan Krogman and Greg Polius. It's a beautiful Friday. It's been a great week in sports. How you guys doing? How you doing, Deck? Not too bad. Uh, it has been a great week in sports. We've got a lot to cover today, um, from the whole Mets saga uh, at, at City Field yesterday, uh, the Jets trade, obviously the, one of the biggest players in baseball, Fernando Tatis' injury, uh, and, you know, Baylor winning the chip. Uh, what a week. A lot going on, for sure. Greg, what about you? How you doing? I'm all right. Just kind of getting by. Happy is Friday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, t- tough week sometimes, too. So it's, it, Friday is always a nice uh, high energy. Marty's feeling good. You know, I got the <laughs> threads on today. So Got to love I mean, Marty. Marty holds it down. Yeah, one. Uh, one thing, not sports related. First off, I like to say rest in peace, DMX. Uh, just truly a legend. Only 50 years old, taken way too soon. Uh, one of the best to ever do it. But uh, yeah, rest in peace to him. Thoughts and prayers out to his family, friends, and fans. Uh, it's unfortunate. Oh, definitely, it's an uh, un- untimely death. And you know, uh, as you said, rest in peace, rest in power, DMX. Uh, it's uh, always sad news when you hear uh, something like that of someone passing away so soon in their life yeah but absolutely well yeah, not so moving, we should get the sports yeah sure. moving moving yeah. moving into the sports now so like you mentioned at the top there uh the jets traded sam darnold after three seasons uh in at metlife stadium we no longer have the 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 face of the franchise there all right so he got traded to carolina to the panthers for a package of a six-round pick in this 2021 draft that's coming up. Uh, and then you have, in 2022, the second-round pick and a fourth-round pick. Now, for those that that love Darnold, hated Darnold, it's, it's, we weren't anticipating it. Everyone except for maybe Declan, who on Monday did predict the exact trade. I mean, I think it might have been a 30 minutes, maybe an hour after you had said it, that it did come true. You know, I guess it was a hot take. Uh, I hadn't heard too much about it from uh, kind of anybody. Um, but I just love that dynamic with that offense, that Matt Rule Baylor offense uh, that's now translated to the NFL. Um, we saw it get busy a little bit last year. They got some great receiver threats. Obviously, Darnold has a connection uh, with Robbie Anderson. That didn't drive the trade itself, but it's still uh, a connection there that, you know, besides the, the fact that they got DJ Moore and they might go after Waddle in the draft. Uh, could be an exciting offense. Needless to say, they got Christian McCaffrey, one of the best backs in football. Uh, it's a trade that made sense. I thought it made sense. I thought maybe they would have waited more than two hours to do it. Uh, but it was pretty timely. And I'm glad it happened because, you know, 
free Sam Darn. He's he's on a he's on a uh, functional organization now. He's on a way better team. It's definitely better for Sam Darnold. I think it's the it's a great scenario that he's going into now, um, by comparison to where he was. Greg, what about you? Yeah, I don't like to trade because I feel like we could have gotten more. But I mean, the six round pick. Does a six round pick even make the roster this year? <laughs> you know. I mean, the Jets have a history of not drafting well i mean i know we have joe douglas at the helm now but you know the, in, in the first three rounds we can miss so i, I it, yeah. it's hard to imagine six round being the I hit. Thought, yeah i thought they got more than they were ever going to get for him the second I, round pick uh, nah because they were, ne- they were never getting a first rounder you, I, I don't care about the first round but you could have got a tangible nfl player in return you know a Robbie Anderson, like you you're know, not saying Robbie Anderson uh, for Sam Donald in that deal. That that, that would but, never happen. But what I'm saying is, you you are now you've given the the Panthers their starting quarterback of the future for at least the next two years, right? And yes. they didn't give up anything to to them. What they gave up is nothing. That a six round pick this year means nothing. Second and fourth round, who knows where those picks fall next year? They didn't give up anything, so it was a no brainer for Carolina to make. Yeah, it benefited. Second pick means something, though. Not necessarily because you don't know where it's going to fall. I mean, well, it's still a second round pick. Yeah, it's yeah, still yeah. a second round pick, though. And, and I mean, that, that's still, there's still value there, typically. Um, I agree with Greg, though, uh, that I didn't love it. You know, I, I don't hate it necessarily because they got three draft picks back for it for him but uh, i do think that sam darnold's value could have gone up uh you might have you had to wait on it they didn't want to wait that was that was the issue right they wanted to get something for this draft and they got something for next draft as well i think if you waited and you let him play you put some pieces around him you do increase his value um yeah they were never going to do that though because there there was no scenario where they were going to let him play this year because then you bring in zach wilson and now you got to meet be a firestorm it's unprecedented, and we were never going to see it happen. It's not, it is precedented. I mean, it happens no. all the time. You, you mean From like a twenty-five-year-old quarterback you drafted three years ago in the first round is going to be? Uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about oh, his his age is his age is, is appropriate. But I'm saying I'm talking about bringing having a quarterback that you think was going to be the guy, and then bringing in someone else that maybe sits behind him, and then you you let it play out. I mean, yes, it could be a media firestorm. I, the yeah. Jets aren't. It's not that they're not used to it. But what I'm saying is, media aside, because. That can have an effect, but that isn't my driving force of why I make decisions because the media is going to be in a hoopla. Yeah, it's but because you do that. Go ahead. You, you, what, what I'm saying is, is that the value for Sam Darnold could have gone up, and there was a good chance that it would have gone up if they had waited on it. Now, you're saying that a, sec, a second round pick is good. Sixth round and fourth round is eh, you know, and they got what they wanted now because that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to move him as soon as possible before this draft. And they did. And that's the best value they could have right now. But I do think that later on, it could have been better value. See, I don't I, think with I, that yeah. roster, he would have, his value would have gone up and and they never would have played him. Like it, you do that. If you have a quarterback in your mid thirties, not a guy who's 20, what is he? He's 24, right? Is he even 24? He's 23 hey. right now. Like that, let, me see. let me see. I'm still also not sold on Zach Wilson being a savior of the Jets organization in the least bit. It. Um, but as far as I am happy for Sam that he has he's in a better situation. Yes. Uh shout out to Devon in the comments. He said he didn't like it at first, but now the Jets have 22 picks in the next two drafts. Yeah, that's What's- great, but only if the Jets hit on at least half of these picks. Because like Steph said, the Jets are notorious for not only drafting terribly, but not holding on to high draft picks. Yes. Yeah. Also the truth. Uh and and uh Deck, he's 23. He is 20, 24. Like, he's turning 24 in June. He'll be so he'll be 24 before the preseason. Yeah. That's all that's all that matters. But yeah. um 
what I what I think was smart on the Jets is that they got the picks and they kind of put it so that they'll have Zach Wilson and these will be picks that hopefully help him or at least have an impact on his tenure uh, with the Jets. And that is a second round pick that I'm looking at more so than anybody else. The fourth and the sixth is kind of just throw-ins to make sure. I mean, you got a second round pick for Sam Donald. I don't think the talk was that you were getting a first round pick. I didn't see that happening. Uh, that was, you know, a couple months ago. It doesn't but, have to be a first, though. It could have been two seconds as well, right? I think that that could have been also a higher value if you look at it that way. Like, if there's a way to mix and match it so that it doesn't have to be a first rounder, you could have two second round picks, right? Like, that, there's a way to mix and match. It doesn't have to necessarily be a first, but you can still get more value than what you currently had. So the first isn't the end-all, be-all in my mind if you pair it well in the 2021 draft and 2022 draft. Yeah, but my thing is that there was, there was no scenario where, first of all, like, I, I, we got into a huge argument, all of us, on Monday. That I said there was no scenario that Donald would play the year uh, with the Jets, but in my in my eyes, even in retrospect, say they didn't trade him, right, and, and they and they have Donald play. There's no scenario with that roster that we see his value increase. And, and like, you got a second round pick for a guy that, I mean, really the coaching staff failed him. Like, let, let's call it what it is. He didn't do himself a lot of favors with his play on the field. But you have Adam Gase for two years. He had to learn like two offenses and and. Different GM, different head coach, different offensive coordinator, a lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts. And the best moving part for him is honestly that the moving part was eventually getting him out of there and now into a better situation. But the idea that he was ever going to play, like when have we seen a a 24 or 24, I know he's 23 now, but a 24. You you keep saying this though. When have we seen this? Who yeah. cares we're not gonna do things happen all the time well, in clearly, sports clearly it doesn't is, matter what what but what i'm saying is that's 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 not a legitimate argument to always say well we've never seen this we've never seen a bunch of things happen until they happen yeah this is something that was never going to happen they were never going to go into this year with sam Donald. they wanted to trade him I know they wanted to trade him and and they they took what they could get they could have held they could have held fast and just not actually traded them. I mean, we see organizations do it all the time. They gamble. Yeah, it's called they, a gamble. People gamble all the traded, time. Yeah, then they could have traded out of the pick. There was never a scenario where they were going to bring in Zach Wilson and still have Sam Donald on the roster. Well, that's, that's the other part, too. Well, I don't think there's never – I don't think it's, it was – there's no scenario. I think there was a scenario, and they didn't go with it. Because, <laughs> yeah, to, like to, be, to be honest, to be honest with you, you know, Joe Douglas does have – and we've seen it in the last draft. He values picks more than anything. He's trying to, like, build this team through the draft, which is why he looked at it as, I need to get something for this draft and something for next draft. So we, I understand where Joe Douglas is coming from. Personally, as a fan and, you know, paying attention, watching the Jets, I wanted more value for him because I know Sam Donald is more valuable than that. Obviously, we took him at three overall. Uh, the league still values him that high, but when you don't have leverage, you don't have leverage. As you you said it a few times now, Zach Wilson at two, Zach Wilson at two. Let's move on to our other topic. Is it 100% Zach Wilson at two? You know, because I think you have – Justin Fields has been – I mean, it's, it seems more like a smear campaign against – uh, this QB than anything that his name has just dropped out of people's mouths when it comes to, you know, the, the next quarterback off the board after Trevor yeah. Lawrence and uh, you know, the pro day changed how people view Zach Wilson, but what is it being mentioned is, and we, we mentioned it, I know on Monday, but the competition he played, you know, you're, you're giving a lot of hype to someone that didn't go up against was wasn't going against the best teams. And then you have a quarterback that, that was, that did and that's shown you that he can perform well and all of a sudden he's sliding down draft boards so uh greg i'll let you go are you sold on i mean you well you're not sold on zach wilson but do you no, think the jets could potentially all. take 
Justin Fields. I, at un- unfortunately, I think the love the love fest around Zach Wilson kind of has him cemented at number two, and the draft really starts at three. Um, the fact that Mac Jones uh, at Alabama is getting more uh, praise to be the number three pick over over Justin Fields is kind of crazy, crazy to me. It's something that really makes you question, like, what do these scouts really value? Because they they claim that, you know, Trevor Lawrence was the greatest prospect, quarterback prospect since um, Andrew Luck, since Andrew, Andrew Luck. Yeah. Right. But now they're they're not even talking about him. And he's been the best quarterback in college football for the last three years. But all we hear about is Zach Wilson and Mac Jones for the last two weeks leading up to the draft. It doesn't make sense. Something is off. Yeah. I mean, I get that. And I think we talked about it as to why, you know, the the media is making this decision to kind of, you know, it is a a little bit of a smear campaign for Justin Fields. However, I will say this. And I'll say it with with a certain amount of confidence. The 49ers would never trade up into the top three to take a guy like Mac Jones that they could have drafted 12. There would just be no reason for it. If they were ever going to do it to not take Justin Fields, the only name possible would be Trey Lance. But if we're if we're talking pure logistics and pure football right now, the 49ers traded into the top three to take Justin Fields. I agree that the draft starts at three, but I, I'm pretty confident that that's who they're going to go with. And it, it, he just fits in that system too. I mean, I hope that's the case. Personally, I would love to take Justin Fields at two because, I, like I said, I am not sold on Zach Wilson. I hope he proves me wrong, but I'm just not sold on him based on – I mean, there was I, I sent a schedule in the chat, and there was a couple teams on the schedule I never even heard of. <laughs> For Justin Fields' sake, I hope he goes at three, though, and kind of avoids the Jets and, go, and goes to a team I, that was in Super Bowl. So I, I do think – I'm sorry, Seth, but I do think the Jets coaching staff-wise – are in a much better position than they've been in the last like 10 years. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I, I agree. With, I agree with you. We'll see. But I mean, the same could be said for the giants. And I, and I got you trashing Joe judge over here. Like, <laughs> come on, man. I don't know if I like that. So I, yeah, I agree. I think the one thing that should be afforded to the jets is that uh, whatever you thought about them beforehand uh, as a team, you know, the, the circus, the, you know, poor performance year in, year out, you brought Joe Douglas in after you had uh, Adam Gase. So Joe Douglas had to be paired with Adam Gase, you know, and he has his, he has his, his manager now. He has his coach, you know. So I, I, I'm a, I, personally, I'm expecting a very different culture and feel uh, in the Jets, uh, in that organization. So to say that, you know, you don't want Justin Fields to go there because it's going to be, you know, the, the circus and he's, he ends up like Sam Darnold. I truly want, I want to believe, again, this is a part of me as a Jets fan, that Joe Douglas is the right guy at the helm. He's he's not, you know, there to play games. He's had success where he's been before, the Eagles and uh, Baltimore, if I'm not mistaken. And you have uh, a coach in Slay who's, like, he's, he's a great, he's a great player, like, players coach. Guys love him. He has great, he had a great culture there with the 49ers, what he Richard was doing. Richard Sherman Richard Sherman loved him. And I'm sure there are other players that's, that were just as positive uh, yeah, about him as, yeah, as uh, as a coach. So I look at the Jets as being a team that will be desirable. Not now, obviously, because you're looking at what has transpired in those Adam Gase years and prior. But definitely a organization where you're not like, ah, I got to stay away from that with a 10-foot pole because you have a change in the front office. And finally, the pieces that are in place for what should be a positive uh, campaign. I mean, I don't know if it's an organization where, you, where you're where you not 
100%. Like, like, I don't know if it's an organization where you're certainly not look, wanting to stay away from it. But if you guys are, if you guys are a quarterback prospect, right, and you see you can go in the top five, would you prefer going to the Jets right now or do you want to go to the Niners? Non-biased. And non-New Yorker either, because obviously who wouldn't want yeah. to play with the hometown team? Yeah, well, well, I think it has more to do with, you know, you're comparing to the 49ers and the Jets and look at where those teams are. Like, you're going to go off of the the that's my point. built around them. I know, I, I, I understand that, but it's it's not necessarily about what's more desirable and, like, like making the Jets less desirable because oh, oh it's it's a the organization is a mess, right? Like the pieces they have are they lack pieces where the 49ers have them. So you would want to go to the team with more pieces, obviously. But what I'm talking about is the other side of the coin where you're focusing on the Jets have just always been a mess. And like why would you want to go to a team like it's like talking about the Knicks, you know, like it, it's they're not there. And if you're gonna compare the the Jets to the 49ers, yes, I would take the 49ers objectively, but um, if I, if I were to, if let's say Fields goes to the Jets, it's not like a, I can't believe I'm on the Jets. It's like a, all right, I'll agree here that I'd like it's to different. deal with. And I can like, uh, again, did I freeze? It was like maybe <laughs> two frozen. seconds. You're good. You're good. <laughs> oh, either way, either way. I just, I think that, um, there, there's something there and, um, it's more positive momentum bringing in the new head coach, having a, uh, your, um, GM that knows what he's doing, has an idea, has a plan at least. And you're hoping to see that play out in the next two to three years. Yeah, I agree. You are hoping, though. I, I told yeah. like, I yeah, it's definitely gonna, hope. We're just gonna have to see. We're just gonna have to see. Yeah, yeah, but they def definitely have to see. Yeah, I would say cautious optimism is probably well, the best way to put it right now. That that's like a it's being a Jets fan and an owner Mets fan. Like that's that's kind of the the nature. That's the territory. Or or a, or a former uh, former Knicks fan, Memphis Grizzlies. Uh... Mm. Oh no no no! My Memphis Grizzlies are, are doing just fine. They are no, they're uh, yes. they're in contention. So, well, uh, as you can see, we're heading to commercial. Please stay locked in. This is Smoke and Mirrors presented by the Sports Hitlist on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We'll be right back. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is Smoke and Mirrors on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. On this worldwide sports radio, now presented by the Sports Hit List. I'm your host, Stefan Polius, alongside my fellow hosts, Declan Krogman and Greg Polius. We were just talking a little football. We're going to briefly go into a little basketball college hoops. Uh, as you know, Monday, we had the, the big showdown between Baylor and Gonzaga. And everyone knows Baylor pulled through. I mean, at no point were they, what is it ever even a question? They never, they never trailed in that game. Uh, final score being 86 70. Uh, you know, you had the expectation after the heroics of Jalen Suggs. Uh, against UCLA that Gonzaga was going to take. I mean, everyone pretty much, a lot of people had Gonzaga. Um, but a lot of people Baylor in the streets for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know what, you know what I think it is? I think people wanted to see the undefeated season. I know I was one of them. I wanted to see the perfect season. But the truth of the matter is uh, Baylor just had more athletes. That's what it came down wow. to. And I don't think a lot of people, be, being the season Gonzaga had, I don't think people saw the score going the way it was. Like they they saw a, a closer, uh, a more contested game 
than how it finished. Yeah, that's accurate. We saw we saw a lot of predictions. I think you mentioned a few from that list. Um, I think Ray Jarvis was, uh, you know, shout out to Ray Jarvis, uh, Gray Area, the Gray Area Pod. You can check it out on uh, Apple Podcast. Um, but I think he had. I know you did an episode with him recently, but I think he had Gonzaga going. I know I had Gonzaga. Man, uh, I'm surprised Manny isn't in the comments. He must be working hard today. But uh, he picked <laughs> Baylor in the comments. I'm gonna have to send out an Amber Alert. Uh, I'm a little worried. <laughs> Steph, can you hear us? Yeah, yeah that I was can. awkward yeah. silence based on the little uh, Wi-Fi. I thought, I, thought, I thought he froze again. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. You said my name. I, I might. I think I did freeze because I didn't hear anything. Yeah, he did. <laughs> I was like, wow. I, that, that was this is the awkward. most it's ever happened. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, well, you gotta reach out to Files. You and Marty. Got do. Yeah, I was waiting for Marty to say something. Honestly, <laughs> representative. Uh, representative. I'm um, sorry. What'd you say? I didn't hear you. Oh no, we were just uh, saying that. Baylor kind of just thwarted them and no one expected it to happen the way it did. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, I did not make a bracket, but I was following along with everyone else's bracket, especially Declan. Declan's <laughs> bracket was very exciting. Um, <laughs> down to the end. Uh, but I agree with you, you know, Baylor had the, the, the better athletes or more athletes rather. And you saw that from, you know, tip off to the end of that game. And, you know, for those shout outs to those that, you know, came through in their brackets, they, they won. Congratulations, you you mastered March Madness. <laughs> but moving Put it on, on your resume. Yeah, some people can. But moving on into baseball. All right, we had a lot of baseball. Thank God. Let's go. Place. Oh yeah, all excited. I know. I know you, uh, listeners, viewers, you're excited as well. Uh, more baseball to talk about, obviously. So we have more games under our belt. I actually found this really interesting. Uh, I watched the first or portions of the first seven inning doubleheader with the Nats and the Braves and I'm loved so it. Loved it. It was so, so fun. Like it went by so quick. I'm like, well, game's over like seven innings and right back at it again. Not the day night doubleheader that you used to, you know, you're getting the, like all that baseball fit in. I mean, the players seem fresh. It didn't seem like to be an issue as far as fatigue goes, you know, um, we're not in the dog days of summer. So it, it, that's another, yeah. you know, uh, argument there, but mm. loved that. Also was a real big fan of watching a lot of these extra inning games and seeing runners starting on second base. Yankee fans, probably not as much, seeing no, how that did. Eddie, hey, Eddie. I'm not, I didn't, Eddie next, next, next one, I didn't say you. Shout-outs to Eddie. Shout-outs to Eddie. That game where, as a home team to me, with that extra innings rule, you're favored. You, you, you have that chance. You, you Once you stop them, top of the inning, boom, we could put up our runs. We're going to have a guy on second base as well. Uh Thrilling, very exciting. It gives you that like playoff you know, atmosphere playoff, type exactly feel. playoff atmosphere. So good. What do you guys think of, of of that and just the new rules kind of playing out early in the season? Um, I loved it. I loved it. I'm a. I told you in the beginning of the season. I'm a big proponent of it because it brings excitement to the game that may be lacking for the casual fan. And you see a lot of the purists in the Twitterverse and on the social media sites that are upset at the rule uh, and saying, oh, it's not real baseball. I mean, to that argument, if this is not real baseball, then what is it? Because if I'm not mistaken, if a guy leads off with a double, we're still playing baseball. You know? Well, yep. I think the argument there is that he didn't lead up with it. He didn't earn it. But, I mean, but yeah. to, for the yeah. argument that, oh, well um, – it's a cheap run. That run still has to be earned. A hitter still has to execute. He has to put the ball in play. Pitchers still have to execute to make outs, which is why you have a team like the Orioles who, for all intents and purposes, shouldn't be 
in mentioned in the same realm as the Yankees win because they were able to execute in that extra innings where the Yankees were not. Yeah, I mean, I, I get I get what you're saying from that point, but I also think like going back to 04, I'm fine with it. I think it's I think it's really exciting. I'm good with it, especially in the regular season. I wouldn't have an issue with it if they removed it in the postseason, um, especially historically speaking. And I think that's a lot of where the purest argument is. I'm going to play devil's advocate both sides. I'm for it, but I'm for it to an extent. Um, if you get a runner on second and Mariano Rivera is on the mound, like that's a huge advantage. Dave Roberts and the Red Sox had to literally scratch, fight, and claw just to get that runner on second base to, to keep their season alive. So now you're kind of getting it for a fly out in the last inning. I'm not saying it's a bad rule, but I wouldn't be against if they took it out for the postseason. No, I think it, it, it intensifies even more in the postseason, to, and it makes it more exciting because yeah, what it forces a team to do, it forces an offense to have to pick certain strategies, certain um, situational hitting strategies, and, and to force the issue to try to get this run. Are we going to give up the out with the bunt? You know, do we want to bunt down the first baseline? Do we want to try a push bunt? Do we want to try a drag bunt? What are we doing here? We want to go a sack bunt, or are we? Is the defense going to put on a shift with a say like a Ryan Howard type lefty up, and is that going to open up third base for a stolen base attempt? There's so many different possibilities that can happen just based on that one situation that that just has a viewer, especially the casual fan, kind of like, oh my god, this is exciting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it makes it fun. Steph, go ahead. I, I want. Yeah, it definitely makes it fun. I agree with Deck though. The postseason doesn't need to doesn't need more intensity. Doesn't need that you know to to have that added. It already has that. Most people tune in for the postseason that for that reason. And that's true. what 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 I will say is it's it's like situational baseball. It's what you do in practice, right? You put a run on second, and you you see what the defense, how your defense reacts. You know when a ball is put in play. I think it's good for the 162 game regular season because it's a lot of baseball. It's a lot of baseball to be played. You lose fans typically. I mean, there are fans going into the stadiums now, so you're, you're going to have that attendance there, luckily. So you're getting that money. You're getting those eyeballs. But and people leave I, when, and sometimes an extra inning. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people leave in the seventh, depending on where the game's at. So if you have a close game, people are staying locked in, in into the game. Also, now it's the it's the 10th inning, runner on second. You Everyone's on their feet. Like that, that anxiety, if your team is – if you're the home team and you're like, wow, like – can we, can we pull this one out? You know, the frustration and maybe giving up a run, but knowing you have the bottom of the inning to come back, that all that is going to be good for baseball. I just think in the playoffs, you you don't necessarily want that. You know, okay, there's that, I, that, I that already exists in the playoffs because yeah. guarantee you more, more often than not in a close game, top of the ninth, the, more often than not, the, the ball's being hit, it's being put in play. Guys are getting on, whether it's a walk, a leadoff walk, pinch runner comes in, steals second. Like all of that small ball and, and you mm. know, the, the things that every, the traditionalists love about baseball, that comes mm. into play typically in the playoffs in the That's ninth true. inning on a close game. I mean, we do know the baseball postseason gets better ratings <laughs> than the NBA, as I've been on record on call show saying. You just got to take a <laughs> shot at it. Like, you yeah. couldn't, you couldn't help I have himself. to. He can't can help himself. He can't he's not himself. wrong, though. He's not wrong. He isn't wrong by any stretch of the word, but he can't he help himself. It's, it's in his nature. I've known him my whole life. <laughs> but Can I make uh, one small point sure, quickly? Sure. How terrible would it be if you're in the postseason and – I'm going to use an example because it's the first extra inning game I could think of. It's game five at City Field uh, when Lucas Duda makes that throw almost into the first row. He probably could have taken out Jerry Seinfeld or whoever sits there. Um, and, and the Royals win the World Series. How terrible would it have been if it goes into extra innings and the Royals win with a runner on second base in the 11th inning? I mean, who, were the, who was the home team? I can't remember. Was it the Mets? 
It was the Mets, yes. So then they have a chance to come back. This, yeah, it's, it's just so different, though. Well, the, I mean, yeah, the home I, I, I would be. No, let's be honest. I would be upset. I would be so upset. I would Thank be incredibly you, upset. No, like, like as as I watched that series, like thinking about that, and then if it started with a runner on second, and you know, a little bloop single or something scored them because they they just moved on the base pads. No. <laughs> no, you're right. So, so, and here's where I because if we have the same opportunity, I'm not gonna be as upset. True, but I mean, I guess what I where I come from when I'm thinking about specifically that series, the Mets weren't that type of team, right? They were it was a big hit or nothing. That's and true. <laughs> and to to think that the Royals have this the the potential, not potential, they would start with a run on second, that guy's scoring easy. We're, Especially if it's like Escobar or whoever. Yeah. Was, like, We'd have to hope that they only scored one run. That is the <laughs> best like outcome in that scenario. Mm-hmm. So I'm not as big a fan in the postseason. I'm sure we'll have people saying that they probably love it. I, few, few. One thing I did want to add, which I thought was amazing. So uh, Cincinnati Reds, which we all kind of understand as being like a bad team. They think they're they think they're uh you think they're the badasses of the MLB? Is they are. No, they, they, they not they think they are. Let's relax. It happened again. They, they have are. a couple of 250 hits. Let's calm down. No, no, no. When I say uh, badasses, I'm talking about they don't care what the baseball world thinks of them, and they're going to play the game how they want to play it. And I love that. Yeah, it's, um, it's good for baseball. I, I keep missing conversations because of this internet. <laughs> I'm, I might as well have my, my mic on mute. Like. <laughs> Um, what I was going to say is, hmm? no, I don't know if you heard what Dex said. No, no, you froze again. Jesus. He said that the Cincinnati Reds think they're the badasses of baseball. And I said, they are. There's one of them. They'll be be badass when they win 90 games. Is that fair? What? Okay. What what are you talking about? You don't, we're talking about the Reds. He said, you don't have to be necessarily a winning team to be a badass team in terms of just how you, your bravado on the field. Well, I mean, if you win 70, if you win 70, you know, 75 games, you're a different kind of bad and you're a different kind of ass. Like, let's just call it what it is. Like, I, I could agree with that. I, I think the swagger is something different, but the swagger, you lose some of that when you lose games, right? Like, you're yes, not going to be the true. swaggiest team on the field. Uh, what I was going to say, Deck, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you picked up where I was start trying to go. But uh, the Reds, they're a juggernaut offense, right? Leading the league in RBI, slugging, OPS, average. They're second in home runs, first in runs scored. They're just putting up big numbers, crooked numbers, you know, inning in, inning out. Uh, and they leverage that. They leverage their bats over defense, and it's it's paying off. That's oh, I'm back. Cool. <laughs> I, yeah, no, and, and I, I, I love it. Oh, I, I swore to God I froze again. I'm really conscious no, of it No, you're now. fine. You're <laughs> but but um, I, I love to see that. You know, it's it's great to, to see a team that, Typically, you wouldn't want to watch. You know, they're they're the numbers that you would see as far as in the stadium, not great. And with this kind of prolific offense, you know, looking at guys like uh, Jonathan India, who came up from the farm this year and is huge contributor, Castellanos, who you know, Deck- Nikki Castle, love yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like he he is. They are they are fun to watch right now. And so, seeing a team like that is great. I'm excited seeing this kind of offense. It's only six games, only six games into the season, so we will see. But looking at that type of offense early on is really impressive and really nice to see. Yeah, I totally agree. It's just it's really exciting from a baseball standpoint to see that 
even if we agreed that Cast, you know, Castellanos was a little out of line in in, in a go. certain. There spin. we go, bringing it back up. What? No, we said that, but we yeah, we never. No, you said that. Argument. You said yeah. that. Yeah. I did not. I did yeah. not subscribe. Was, okay, was he not asking for it a little bit? He skipped up nope. the line. I don't care. Oh, was it Chuck? Well, I mean, hey, it was probably Chuck. Because he got a fastball in the ribs. So I it, legit don't care if 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 a pitcher gives up a a bomb, right? That's on the pitcher. If a hitter wants to celebrate, that's his business. And I agree. I agree. Hitting a home run is one of the hardest things to do in sports. And if a if a pitcher cannot accept the fact that he gave up a bomb to this guy, then he needs he needs to get over it. Because Strike we don't say now. we don't say anything when pitchers, you know, pump their fists and, and have these celebrations when they get strikeouts in big moments. People that, know, that's people, not frowned upon. People say that. People say not enough. People say that. But I also agree that if a if a hitter is allowed to bat flip and skip down the first baseline, then a pit then a pitcher is allowed to you know if he wants to uh, no no why? now I would just say that to, to before we hit the commercial, um, whoever wins right that they're the ones that that have the last laugh and the Reds went on you know to put up huge numbers the next game, you can hit the guy as many times as you want if you lose the game you're the loser and you hit him for what you know to, to allow exactly. them to win so. Don't go anywhere. Stay locked in. We're going to be talking more base when we come back. This Netties. is Smoke and Mirrors. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. This is Smoke and Mirrors on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I'm good. Y'all hear me? Yeah, yeah. You're good now. Yeah. All right. Can't catch me. I'm not cute when my face freezes. I know that. Um, welcome back. This is Smoke and Mirrors presented by the Sports Hitlist on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Stephen Polius, alongside my fellow hosts, Declan Krogman and Greg Polius. We were talking baseball. And really, if I, if I, I need to give him another shout out here because Declan had another take. Uh, I want to say it was on Monday. He was talking about Fernando Tatis and the, the left arm injury, shoulder injury he had during the, the spring training uh, games. He was out for a game or two. And as we all know, he's gone down with uh, what they're calling a slight labrum tear. Uh, he's been placed on the 10-day uh, IL. From what the Padres are saying, he should be good to come off. Like months after the 10 days, he should be good to play. The injury looked much worse than that. There are some people saying his season might be over. Uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, medical professionals are out there. Surgeons are saying that it might actually require surgery. The Padres are saying it does not. I'm going to go off of what the Padres are saying and just see what happens. But scary injury. It seems like the prognosis is positive, though. And we'll t- Fernando Tatis will be back on the field sooner than later. But uh, Declan, I'll, I'll let you uh, celebrate in, in being correct about another take of yours. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get no celebration over another man's injury. Not, uh, that's good. That's not good. how we roll. Not how we roll. Mm. Um, unfortunate. Hopefully, he avoids surgery. Uh, I think that's the big thing. That's the that's the aim of resting him and putting him on a ten day IL. Yeah. Um, for the time being, I do think it'll be more than ten days. I think I wouldn't honestly be surprised if he missed a month. Um, I agree. Right now, like I said, it's unfortunate. Hopefully, he hopefully he doesn't miss the whole year. That that's like the main thing. As long as he gets back on the field, hopefully sometime soon. Um, but yeah, 
I mean, I I pre- predicted the injury was baked into uh, my projections for his his uh, slight regression there. Um, and like I said, hopefully he gets back. We'll see how the left arm, uh, his left shoulder plays. Um, he wasn't swinging too well before. He did have the home run uh, before that point. but I think he was hitting like 188 maybe. Yeah, like, 168, three game, three games into the year. Yeah, then, nothing to worry about with a player like that that can get hot you know, in a moment's notice. But depending on how naggy that injury is moving forward. I mean, definitely something to worry about now. But yeah. it's his back Steph, Steph, didn't you have a similar injury? And can you speak to how uh, you came back from that as a hitter? Yeah. So, I mean, what I what I should say is that my finish is not as wide as Tatis is. Uh, so well, when you say finish, because not everybody may understand swing, what you mean. Backswing. Yeah. So on Tatis's swing, uh, if you see he lets go of the bat, he's one handed on his backswing. And you see, like similar to if you watch Justin Turner before, big backswings, uh, which, you know, puts a lot, a lot of that strain and stress it's, on the shoulder and the elbow. Yeah, I mean, well, it's full extension. He's full extension yeah. when when he finishes. Um, and with mine, it was a, a dislocation, relocation of my uh, my right shoulder, actually. And it was a lot of pain initially, severe pain. Uh, for the next few days, I, I didn't really have that full feel, and I couldn't have I couldn't go through my throwing motion without pain. Um, coming back from it, you know, rehabbing, I didn't need the surgery, but. With the rehab, doing band work, uh, it was a lot easier for me to come back into it and throw again and not feel that discomfort that I had, excuse me, initially. So, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't believe I had a tear. I didn't go uh, to get um, a diagnosis, so I don't know for sure if I if I had a tear. I can't say it's to the same extent that uh, Tatis's injury is. Mm-hmm. However, that discomfort when I saw him go down, I definitely felt that because I've been in that scenario, like popping out and coming back in and apparently he didn't, he didn't pop it back in until he went into the dugout. So sometimes you have a dislocation and relocation all in the same motion, which yeah. is mm-hmm. most ideal because the discomfort of just having it sit outside there until someone mm-hmm. knocks it back in is, is just so painful. So and you, you want to get it popped in as soon as possible. Yes. Yes, you do. So that's what I'm saying. The, the dislocation relocation in the same motion is the best case scenario. Um, but even then you're talking about just that same kind of rest uh, rehabbing to, to again, strengthen those muscles around your shoulder muscle, uh, sorry, around your shoulder and put yourself in the best position to, to play again. And, and what I worry about is if he rests, you know, the 10 days, I'm thinking it's going to be more like you said, deck, how comfortable he feels with his same mechanics afterwards. Yeah. Right. Because we talked about how long the backswing is uh, how full extension of it. That is going to be in the back of his mind. And, He's a professional. He's going to take his cuts. He's going to be in the cage. He's going to be working to see how he feels. But I feel like something like that lingers, you know, and you might have a different approach in how he his mechanics, at least his finish, potentially just to compensate for that pain. Yeah. And it totally lingers. And I think that was that was what I had said a while ago um, before this even, you know, I would say the injury times 10. Um, is kind of what I would say, because the original injury happened in spring training and it was something I was worried about looking at him. Uh, and especially his swing, even still with the way he was playing. Um, and it, he is a guy who plays super hard um, and it's, it's a great play style. Granted, it is tough to maintain that over the course of a full season. Uh, and that that's where I was coming from in that regard. I don't, we, I, I disagree with that. Who do we see play that hard that, uh, that really doesn't flirt with injury stints? What did Hunter Pence used to? 
but see, Hunter Pence was never as fast or as athletic. But as but you but you're saying playing hard. You're not talking about yeah. You're not talking about athletic. You're talking about playing the game hard. Knows that uh, you can't Edmund conflate played the, the game two. hard, and he wasn't Jim as Edmonds. athletic. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. There, yeah. There's you can play different can, from theirs. But what I'm saying playing is hard. That's what you, but, say. you said. So play what are you hard, saying? Though. You said play hard. He's playing hard. What are you really trying to say here? He's playing hard. He's playing fast. Like like there's a difference between a guy like Hunter Pence who. Has like a thirty-five speed in MLB The Show versus Tatis, who, who's a who's a that, blazer. But you're not you, you're you're talking about two different things here, two very yeah. different things. Mm-hmm. It's in the same. I, same I don't, no, I don't think... it's not. It's not because playing hard, you could be the slowest person in MLB and still play hard. Prince Fielder played hard. Playing hard and playing risky. I don't want to say risky, but it, that's the way to put it. It's a risky. It's a risky play style. It's hard to keep up. It, we haven't. We we see guys like all right, a guy that comes to mind. Like we see Jacoby Ellsbury on the DL, like or the IL, excuse That's me. That's because he was on roids. <laughs> when it well, hold on. When was he ever proved on roids? What do you mean? What was it? He wasn't proved, but did we get it from QAnon? Did we get it from QAnon? No, we didn't get it from QAnon because he got paid and his numbers took an absolute nosedive after he got paid. And the injuries piled up after he got paid. Right. Let, let's let, let's not let's let's not act like we don't know what happened there. We can, we can put things together. Yeah, exactly. He was injured. He was injured be- before he ever. He was injured on Boston all the time. This guy was going sliding, uh, you know, a hundred miles per hour. It's excessive, but he's sliding full, full blown into second base and tearing his collarbone. Runs into Adrian Beltre in left field. Like that's not right. The, the guy plays. He plays. I think we can we can we can, we can agree that after he got paid though, like after when he came to the Yankees, he saw less field time than he did with, with Boston. Just period. Yeah. You, he he was yeah. barely on the field, and I think that's what Greg's speaking to. And I understand that, like the injury prone nature increased severely. It wasn't just because he was playing hard; he could run up the line and pull a hammy. You know, like it wasn't contact, it's super hard contact. And yeah, yeah but, it was like non-contact. Yeah, the heart. It was ridiculous, 100%. But I understand well, where you're coming from. It's an assumption. Yeah. It hasn't been proven that he was on steroids. But, you know, based on what we know about steroids and how the body breaks down, it would you could assume that Jacoby Ellsbury got his contract using roids and then body breakdown when he got to the Yankees and did not perform. Yeah, but how, like how, in this day and age, how do you cheat those tests? Like that. that's just what I like. <laughs> It's it, this is a great segue about cheating in baseball. There's always a way. <laughs> yeah, there's always a way. I saw Zane was, was very upset. Loyal listener for sure. He's an Astros fan, so uh, the emotions run high uh, with him when it comes to this. I think he said I was misinformed uh, about the cheating scandal. Um, that's a fun hill to die on. As I as I take, <laughs> as I take a condescending sip. Are we transitioning into the cheating? Oh, aspect? Oh, you you want to you want to well, transition? Well, before, should, hold on, before we, we do talk that and stuff. Yeah, before we do that, uh, I just wanted to say Speedy uh, did give us a, a, his little factoid. He was saying Hunter Pence was faster than what you gave him credit for. He was a center fielder for the Astros and for the Phillies, so he wasn't center field. He wasn't some slow poke that and you made him out right, to be. He was a right fielder who became a slow poke when he well, hit Well, that, that's going to happen to George Springer, but, <laughs> you know, like it happens well, over time. Yeah, like, I mean, you, not, not everybody keeps up over their whole career playing center field because they get slower. Like, they don't have the same athleticism and speed as they did when they were younger. <laughs> Yes, he you, really as you know, it's a hundred percent fact. Um, <laughs> but what I what I I will say is the hard play style and speed are not the same. You're conflating the two, and it isn't. You can play mm-hmm. super hard and not be a fast player, and you can still be injury prone. You know, that's like that's the guy that dives on everything, head first dive at home plate, 
if you're an outfielder running yeah. into walls, if you're running, if you're a, a third baseman, even a first baseman, and you're running for a play that's um, foul territory, and you go into the stands, like those guys play hard. Derek Jeter played hard. Derek Jeter's not fast, you know. Mm-hmm. He played hard though, and so I don't think that the playing hard and speed have anything to do with each other um, necessarily. But well, would you admit that it's hard to keep up for 160 games? That plays no. out consistently running into if that's not hard. To keep I don't them. think I don't think Tatis runs into walls though. I mean, Tatis is hurt. I mean, yeah, well, he's actually, hurt. If we, if we saw if we saw in the was it the second or third game of the year he was running into uh, shallow left field and collided with Jorge Mateo. I mean, that's a communication that, thing. That's communication. That's communi- thing. That, yeah, that can happen anytime. That can happen anytime. I wouldn't I mean, say that that that's play. He's trying to make a play. You're making a Speed. play though. Speedy is on on point today. Carlos Gomez didn't play hard and had great raw speed. A hundred percent. Carlos that's Gomez that's was supposed to be a five tool prospect, and he was just yeah. just cheap. Shout out, shout out to uh, shout yeah, out to Baldy. Just commenting. Uh, I would be shocked if Els was on roids. He was injury prone with Boston too. That is one hundred percent accurate. He was always injury prone. This way, like injured players don't get healthy. And he never got help. So my my point to that is the jumping numbers, right? Just mm-hmm. the same way we saw Brady Anderson. Is, I yeah, think twenty eleven was, was the it was Brady Anderson was like 12, 14, 18, 50. We saw a jump like that with Ellsbury, and then he stole the Yankees' money, and he was never the same player as a player who's played with guys who have taken roids, who have just Expose to get a Give just us to get money. a start, just to get a starting <laughs> spot, right? The roids will get you what you need, but they don't keep taking them. So there are guys who literally have taken roids just to get a contract. And like, I made my money. I'm good now. It doesn't that's matter what happens right? after. Yeah, no, guys do that. And that's the point of it. And, and not to defend it, but I, I get the, the the sentiment behind it is because you're trying to get paid. And you get that yeah. one contract and you're set. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. why guys view that as a risk. I'll take it's, it's a one year risk, one year risk, and I can get paid. I get the the money I I deserve for my family, for myself, and you know I'm out after that. So I agree with that. And, but as we're speaking about cheating, Greg, I know you wanted to get onto this topic. Is cheating ubiquitous in baseball? Right? And I, uh, we got to break out our dictionaries. <laughs> ubiquitous. I like that. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's something that's omnipresent, completely present in baseball, and. You know, this is something that he brought up in one of our, our group chats, speaking to uh, a story that broke uh, from Ken Rosenthal. The balls uh, that um, Trevor Bauer used, they had visible markings uh, uh, and were sticky. The MLB is investigating it now and looking into if there was some foreign substance used on those baseballs by Trevor Bauer. Uh, and Greg, you, you brought that up as, you know, your way of transitioning into uh, your point, which I'll allow you to make. So mm. where where do you sit on this cheating you being ubiquitous in baseball? And what is uh the the what is it what's your take exactly? My take is major league baseball has to stop pretending like they don't know what's going on. Every team does it, every team cheats. In some way, shape, or form, a baseball team is cheating at some point during the game. And they have to stop acting holier than thou in college, right? If I had, if I was going to pitch another game, my job was to sit next to a, another pitcher, and we had one guy watching the third base coach sign, and the other guy watching the pitching coach on a bench and and picking up signs. That's a form of cheating. That is cheating. This guy's going to get a knock on his door later. <laughs> Expose him and stuff. And in in Major League Baseball, it is 
not out to, to casual fans, but it's a well-known practice for clubhouse attendants or even organizations to have a, a pine tar mix with whether it be rosin or suntan lotion and mix that up for pitchers to have a sticky grip. And Vaseline also. Yeah, yeah, like you'll see, you'll see some guys have it on their jerseys and a little glisten on their jerseys. Michael Pineda did it. He was he was way too obvious with it. He had it on his neck, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but my point is, it it is it, it's rampant, and Major League Baseball should come up with a substance that is you know widely accepted and sanctioned by Major League Baseball, so we don't always have these quote unquote scandals. Yeah, I mean the pitching the pitching things. A little bit far-fetched to me. Like, if if a guy has Vaseline on the inside of his jersey and he's trying to cut the ball a little bit, it's such an advantage hitter league at this point. So I feel like maybe that's why the MLB has turned their back on stuff. Obviously, we've seen more, you know, extreme cheating scenarios using electronic stuff, whether that be Boston or Houston. Um, but, yeah, that is that is kind of where I'm at with that. Yeah, I can hear that. I, I don't necessarily think it's it's an ex- extreme hitter friendly, like it uh, tilting towards the hitters. I know that they they have a lot of tools that they can use in order to um, balance the scales a little bit. Uh, but I think ultimately it still comes down to the pitcher dictates what what pitches are are he's going to throw, and the hitter not knowing whether you try to guess or not the the spin velocity. I'm sorry, the spin rates that we see on balls now, the velocities that a lot of these uh, pitchers are throwing. We're talking about high 90s to triple digits. You know, like this is becoming more of the norm than it was in the past. So we're seeing pitchers in their mechanics improving, making it even more difficult for hitters. So if you're telling me you throw 100 and then you can have a curveball that's 80 miles an hour, that's foolish. That is yeah. ridiculous. And like to to try and in, in 60 feet, six inches, try to make that snapshot, uh, that knee jerk decision to say, OK, I'm going to swing at this and I know the location of it. It is still difficult. I don't know if it's, it's, it's if it's leaning towards the hitters that much. I do believe that there's an advantage. I don't think that it's a, a stark difference, though. I mean, they, uh, since they dead in the ball, but it's also Trevor yeah. Bauer, guys. It's not like Jacob DeGrom, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's the thing. Chuck just said in the comments, they went after Trevor Bauer because he's outspoken on Twitter, which I do think ha- plays a role in it because yeah. he's very yeah. outspoken uh, against MLB. Yes. And if it was a Jacob DeGrom, it wouldn't be as big of a story as a Trevor Bauer. Under the rug. I mean, we saw yeah. the Garrett Cole, whatever the Garrett Cole thing in the offseason got literally no steam. Well, also, the uh, I shared an article in the group chat from, uh, I think it was a years a couple years ago, where the Angels clubhouse attendant got fired because Garrett Cole, when he was in Houston, asked him to make a quote-unquote sticky substance uh, for him because he's having trouble gripping a ball in the wintertime. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think so- making it more of a standard, as you said, for the MLB, when it comes to the pitchers and what substance they can use, whatever mixture that is, I think that is true, that they need to have a, a better standard um, and and have the MLB like make a concerted effort for it more than it has been. Possible. Yeah. Yeah. Do, we want to, and- do we want to get into what happened uh, yesterday? The, the Met game? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking, I was thinking that would be a. Uh, we got a nice little bat flip from uh, Jeff McBass Pro That shot. was awesome. Oh man, he it tossed the hell out that bat. That it was, was great. It was a great was moment for him, first hit of the season. Uh, game ended as Declan uh, brought up. If you watch, or if you didn't watch, rather, uh, Michael Conforto came up to the plate with bases loaded and a one-two count. Got a a, a breaking pitch high and in and leaned into the pitch a little bit to, uh, to make some contact. Initially, the, the umpire called it a strike, calling it strike three and punching him out. And they but should've. upon review, saw that it hit him. They went and looked at the tape, saw that he leaned in, and still called a hit by pitch, which brought in the winning run. 
there's been a lot of hoopla, a lot of people out there calling Conforto a cheater, saying that you know he he's he's he he he's the reason why the 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 Mets won, and that's what's wrong with baseball. I don't I do not agree with that calling him a cheater at all. Um, but Greg, I'll let you start with this. What are your thoughts? How do you feel? Conforto leaning in, I mean, getting a hit by a pitch. I bet I bet those same people weren't calling Jeter a cheater when he did it in Tampa. I said it initially immediately after I said the umpire blew that call. I would have loved to see him get a hit there, but I'll I'll take the W because um, calls get blown every day, especially if Angel Hernandez is behind the dish. Um that's like every at bat if Angel Hernandez. <laughs> but to say that, oh, well, he's a cheater, I, I don't I don't necessarily agree with Conforto himself being a cheater. I think yeah. in a moment he was looking for a way for his team to get a W. He felt he was outmatched in that particular AB. He I would have liked them to call it back. Like if they rung him up, I wouldn't have been mad at all. You know, and they did on the field. That's the right call. They did on yeah. They, yeah, they did on the field, and then they like reversed or something. You know, shout out to Gary Cohen, Ron Darling, and Keith Hernandez. They were all best, best booth in the game, baby. Yeah. Yes. Anything that doesn't relate to on-field play, they just happen this out. This is that is not accurate. Uh, not it's true. Not true. How many, I'm not accurate. How many times you got to hear about the food at City Field? I mean, please, guys. Uh, you're gonna hear about uh, Francisco Lindor uh, for the next 11 years. Yeah, so start, you can. <laughs> there's gonna be on-field uh, accomplishments and things to be proud of. Peter Alonso, like I mean, there's Peter Alonso. There's there's Stroman. There are players that you want to get behind. Even Syndergaard. It's not just the booth, but yeah. we have. And the you best guys are booth talking about the booth. So what is that? Because because, because, because because it's just all around. We're all not around only that. Sport. The oh, Mets booth. What? The Mets booth is super impartial, more than a lot of other yes, booths yes, in the right. big They're leagues. They're not homers. They're not Except, homers. Well, by yeah, anybody. Gary Cohen has a little bit of a homer tendency. A little okay, bit. Michael K. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Michael like, K. Michael K. The other night, um, Kyle Higashioka. There's a runner on second with the rule, and he hits a ground, uh, like you know, a nice shot to right field. The Yankees tie the game, is what he said, and then he's like, "Wait, let's see." He got so ahead of himself as a fan. He was almost. Tyler Wade was almost tagged out at the plate. Great base running by the Yankees. But let's get back to the Mets. Listen, anyone who's calling Conforto a cheater, will you stop it? You stand in against a 93-mile-an-hour slider <laughs> coming in and tell me, how many times have you been in Little League or in high school or however competitive you played baseball, how many times have you not looked at your teammate on an inside pitch and said, take one for the team? Stop it. It happens all the time. It's nothing new. And honestly, I thought Conforto was well-spoken in the post game. He goes over. He says, listen, I would love to use the bat. Did I potentially lean in? It was a reaction. It's Guys, it's reactionary. Exactly. Dude, it happened. Hey, all lean into the strike zone, the middle of a strike zone, like, uh, hit me. It was so yeah, also. Look, he didn't, like, let, walk let me, in, like, with his elbow. Yeah. Like, he COVID let, me just, meeting, like, let me just throw some mechanics in there for those of you that aren't really aware. A lot of major league hitters are front side hitters. So what it means is on, on, on the – the pitch as it's coming in, they'll put their weight on their front side and lean in to see where the pitch is before they determine if they're swing. It's, it's, it's on both sides, but mm. if he has he has a closed stance, so his front elbow is going to lean over the plate more so than anybody with an open stance, which is where more like your chest facing the pitcher. So stride, his initial reaction is to lean in. Now, could he have gotten made a move to get out of the way? Sure, but like you said, Dave. It's all reaction, and you don't have that much time to get out of the way of a pitch going 93 miles an hour with movement. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's a ridiculous slider moving side to side off the table. So it's like that's it's literally faster than the blink of an eye. For those that call Conforto a cheater, do you consider it cheating when a catcher steals a call, steals a strike? Right, like like, like Higgy of, did. 
Yeah, no, like the idea of taking an outside an outside pitch, taking a a, ball, a pitch that's clearly a ball and bringing it closer to make it a strike. You know, like that's that's what that is to me. You know, it's like I'm trying to get the advantage. Home. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like the catcher made it seem like a strike. The umpire called it a strike. Conforto leans in a little bit. It's not like he went across. It wasn't egregious. You know, we and it, it was very reactionary. You could tell by you could tell by the slow mo that it was reactionary. He gets clipped, and they don't call it. That's on the umpire. All right. And even afterwards, Ron uh, Culpa, you know, he uh, after the game comes out and says, you know what, we should have called him out. You know, he he said that afterwards, which is Respect. great. He said, Respect. yeah, you he know. got it wrong. They got it wrong, you know, really, because he went in and they looked at the tape. But he had the he could have made the decision. That falls on the umpires. We do not need to call Conforto a cheater for that reason. He's not a cheater. It happens. It's baseball. But now, do you guys think that Conforto or McNeil are going to get a – not McNeil. He won't get plunked. But do we think Conforto is going to wear one this weekend? If he does, Aguilar should also wear one for stealing of the scout report out of Smith's first pocket at first base. That was like – I thought that was a joke. Like, he actually didn't give that back to him? It didn't, it didn't show it in the clip, so oh, I'm man. taking it for what he I saw. He, he could have. I mean, we only saw part of it, so yeah. we can't expect. Like, you got to get those zipper pockets, Dom. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. Can I just give one quick little thing? I see Zane saying uh, it happens. It's baseball. It's a different tune than last night. We got in a little debate about the Astros. Um, accidentally leaning in with your elbow guard to a 92-mile-an-hour slider is a little bit different than organizing an entire Bernie Madoff like Ponzi uh, – Cheating I mean, scheme across the entire Zane organization. Wasn't, Zane wasn't wrong that the Yankees and the Red Sox, as well as other organizations, partook in similar yeah. type cheating scandals. There is levels. There is there is levels. Agreed. Cheating is cheating. Agreed. Cheating is cheating, and shows need to end, which we are going to do now. <laughs> so, Speedy, there's thank levels. you so much for giving us a cue. Everyone, thank you for tuning in on the Friday edition of Smoke and Mirrors, presented by the Sports Hit List on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We'll be back on Monday from one to two. See you then. Have a great weekend. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network.